Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Uh, my name is Miska, and um, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you know that we are um, going through the seven capital sins, the seven deadly sins. And uh, these were also called the passions, the, the seven capital passions um, by the desert fathers and mothers. Um, and their use of that word passion meant something that holds you in its grip, that um, is not congruent with your, the true nature of your soul. Um, so sometimes it's helpful for me to think of it in those terms. Um, and the, actually the word passion means to suffer. And so when we talk about these sins or vices or passions, um, it's also a suffering that we're talking about, an unnecessary suffering that we often take on or are in the grips of. So um, I think that it's okay for me to say that this series is not about getting rid of your sin. It's about seeing the places where um, we need to be healed. Um, and today I'm going to talk to you about envy. Um, I know when a couple weeks ago mentioned the Enneagram, um, which some of you are familiar with, uh, which also came out of the Desert Fathers uh, and Mothers. Um, it's a kind of typology, and there are nine types. It's so much more than just a typology, though, and I will be happy to talk to you <laughs> anytime about the Enneagram because I love it. Um, but uh, the I'm a four on the Enneagram, which means my root sin is envy. So that does not mean that I don't struggle with other sins or other people don't struggle with envy. We are human, so um, we all struggle with it. It just means I have a black belt in envy. <laughs> so I have a lot of practice in it, <laughs> which is really more than I would like for you to know. But uh, it seemed appropriate for me to... Um, reflect on it with you this morning. So as we do that, would you um, take a moment of, of silence um, with me? Bow your heads and um, let's consent again to the presence and action of God here in this moment. Father, Son, and Spirit, help us to be attentive to you and to pay attention to the invitation to find those places where you want to bring your healing presence. Open our eyes and our ears, open our hearts and our minds so that we will turn to you and live. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Proverbs 14.30, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Let me define what envy is, because there are some words um, that are often used interchangeably. 
um, but envy does have a distinct meaning. Um, let me talk about the other two words that are often used, and they can be interchangeable at times. So um, that's helpful information for me. Um, covetousness, which really just means simply wanting what, some, what somebody else has. It's more connected with greed. Uh, jealousy. Jealousy uh, can mean resentfully wanting what someone else has, but it also has the idea of the fear of losing what you already possess, of having a tight grip on something out of fear um, or out of feeling threatened. Uh, and in scripture, jealousy can have a positive connotation. Um, when we read verses about God being jealous, it's because he's jealous for the love of his people. So it, has a, it can often have a positive connotation in scripture. Envy does not. Envy never has a positive connotation. And this is uh, the best definition that I found. Envy is a painful or resentful awareness of another's advantage joined with the desire to possess the same advantage. It's a painful or resentful awareness of another's advantage joined with the desire to possess that same advantage. Envy is feeling a constant internal lack. And it, it's wanting what somebody else has, something that you perceive that you are deficient in and you want what that other person has. It can be abilities, um, beauty, talent, skill, position, status, any of those things, um, because there's a sense of a void, an emptiness. It's a chronic disappointment. A chronic disappointment and it leads to constant comparison always weighing and evaluating what I have or what I am against what someone else has or what someone else is um, for example for me it's off it's often easy for me to think everyone in this room is managing their life way better than I am. Why do all of you look like you have it together? <laughs> I obviously don't, I'm a mess, but somehow you guys have, have conquered whatever it is, um, you know, my idea of, of what it looks like to live well in the world. Um, and I often find this, um, maybe a, a wake up call for me is, is when I start to ask myself, in a kind of panicky way, what am I doing with my life? Oh my gosh, what am I doing with my life? Um, I start asking myself that question because I'm caught up in comparison. I'm not in my life. I'm evaluating my life based on what I'm seeing in someone else's life. So envy can be a kind of hypnotic trance that we find ourselves in. Uh, it just it runs these grooves um, in our mind and heart of what am I doing? Why don't I have this? Why am I not that? Why am I not working harder to be this way? Um, all of those things. And envy is an anger toward, anger turned inward. It's a self-devouring. As Proverbs says, it rots the bones. And it's a collapsed heart. Envy collapses our hearts and turns us in. We start to devour our own selves. And if left unchecked, envy leads to gossip, 
bitterness, malice, even murder. James 3.16 says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. One of my favorite authors, Anne Lamott, and a fellow four on the Enneagram, um, writes this. She says jealousy. This is one of these times when jealousy and envy are interchangeable. Jealousy always has been my cross, the weakness and woundedness in me that has most often caused me to feel ugly and unlovable, like the bad seed. I've had many years of recovery and therapy, years filled with intimate and devoted friendships, yet I still struggle. I know that when someone gets a big slice of pie, it doesn't mean there's less for me. In fact, I know that there isn't even a pie, that there's plenty to go around, enough food and love and air but I don't believe it for a second. I secretly believe there's a pie, and I will go to my grave brandishing my fork. Does that ring true for anybody? Is that, if not, it's okay. It just will confirm all of my worst fears about myself. <laughs> just me. But I love how she reminds us that envy comes from a place of woundedness. Um, it's a search for validation, for love, for recognition. And these are human desires. Um, there's nothing wrong with the desire to be known and loved. But when our desires get disordered and turn into demands, and when we look for these things outside of the source of our life, um, it leads to problems. Our flesh goes to work, or we can call it our false self or our ego. Our ego goes to work um, so that we can be special or different or better than. We can be seen for some reason. And we can't love from this place, this collapsed heart. 1 Corinthians 13 says, uh, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy. And envy robs us of the ability to be present in our own lives, present with other people, and present even with God. And the degree to which we can be present is the degree to which we are free to love. So this is kind of a big deal. And I love these words from Meister Eckhart. He was a 14th century Dominican priest and mystic. He said, do not repent too quickly. Do not repent too quickly. The value of sin is very great. It might be interesting to note that the Catholic Church condemned him as a heretic until <laughs> the 1980s because he said things like this. The value of sin is very great. That's counterintuitive. But there's so much wisdom in that statement. And I don't know about you, but for me growing up in the church and tradition that I grew up in, um, if you had a, a passion or a temptation or a sin, you shut it down immediately. You were constantly playing kind of a moralistic whack-a-mole. Just shut it down, shut it down, over here. Greed, shut it down, envy, sexual thoughts, any of that. Just um, You don't examine it, you just um, shut it down. <laughs> Uh, and that's not really very helpful, I don't think. Um, 
And I think what Maestro Eckhart here is saying to us is instead of being fearful, instead of being moralistic, why don't we be curious about what's happening? What is underneath these passions? What for us is underneath envy? And if we dig down deep enough, we can hear uh, echoes from the Garden of Eden. Because the deep belief underneath envy is the belief that God is holding out on me. It's the belief that God has given me the short end of the stick. And if we dig down deep enough, we see that envy depends on the fantasy that I'm more defective than everyone else. And why is that a fantasy? It's because then we can strive and strive and strive to be something else. Um, work, our false self can go to work. So these deeper questions and beliefs about ourselves and about God, for example, am I okay? Am I loved? Is there anything worthwhile about me? Or what is God's heart toward me? What is God's heart really toward me? Uh, these things must be exposed and uncovered and brought to the surface so that they can be healed. And this is where talking to a spiritual director or a wise friend or a therapist is really important um, if we, when we start to go to these places because it's scary and it's painful and we need help. One of my favorite lines from St. John of the Cross, a poem of his, he says, the awake lion must prowl for God in places it once feared. The awake lion must prowl for God in places it once feared. So though, even though these are scary questions and dark places and painful places for us, if we wanna be awake in the world, awake to our life and awake to God, then we need to go looking for him in the places that may be unexpected because everything is a threshold, everything is a door to God. So as a part of these um, capital vices, we have some practices connected with each one. And uh, the first practice that I wanna mention to you is contemplative prayer. And there are many ways to participate in contemplative prayer. Um, Lectio Divina, meditation, centering prayer, um, even um, a meditative movement like yoga or uh, mindful walking, anything like that. Um, because it's when we um, can detach from this small story that we keep telling ourselves, this, this narrative that we live out of often, um, without even being aware of it, um, we need to return to what is really real. We need to come home to what is the deepest reality, which is the Trinity, um, this intimate, alive, flowing, uh, beautiful, mysterious relationship that we are called into, and we are a part of this flow. So if we can uh, get into the position on a regular basis of connecting to that, then we can begin to let go of some of this other stuff, this addiction to our thoughts and addiction to the small stories and the lies that we tell ourselves. 
Um, it's a way of gazing at God and allowing him to gaze back at us. Richard Rohr says we have to, excuse me, <clears throat> we have to discover the face we already had before we were born, who we were in God all along. So when we participate in contemplative prayer, we learn to live from a different place of perception. We learn to live from a different place of perception. The second practice um, is the corresponding virtue that the Desert Fathers and Mothers gave to envy, and it's kindness. We do need to practice this often before it comes naturally, especially with envy, uh, which pulls us back from people, because um, we you know, go inward and we um, want to withdraw. But kindness says go toward someone else, be present to and um, be compassionate with other people. But I suspect that those of us who struggle with envy most often have a harder time practicing kindness with ourselves. And that is a practice, learning to not talk to ourselves in the voice of um, perhaps a parent <laughs> or some other um, inner critic that we have developed over our years, but learning to listen to the voice of love and take that in um, and learn how to compassionately hold our own, our own hearts, our own beings. Um, another quote from Richard Rohr, he says, you must not attack, hate, condemn any idea or thought or part of yourself. That would merely be your perfectionistic ego perfectionistic ego trying to win. This is basic training in nonviolence. You must not hate your soul. And that takes years of practice, and that's okay. We just keep practicing, we keep returning to kindness. And then the third and last practice I'll mention is gratitude. I have a friend who, um, is, we're very similar in this envy and comparison thing. And uh, several years back, she had this kind of mantra that she would say. She would say, stay in your life, stay in your life, stay in your life, because it's so easy to start looking toward outside of ourselves um, externally for um, com comparing um, all these things. But if we can stay in our lives, if we can be present to the gifts that are actually in our lives, then we don't stay trapped in our envy. And without gratitude, we miss the goodness and the abundance of our own lives. So we have to cultivate this ability to be present, to, to practice gratitude, and see all the gifts that are actually there, even if all you can do is, is say, in this one moment where I am right now, I have enough air to breathe and take deep breaths. Sometimes it's just breathing, and that's enough. We don't need, when we practice gratitude, we don't need to make ourselves look big or important or better than. We have enough, and we are enough. And we can live in the abundance that is the kingdom of God rather than living according to the lie of scarcity. 
So the collapsed heart of envy can become the expanded heart, free to love and free to offer itself in profound ways. Will you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.